And good morning and welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses, on this Family Day weekend and Family Day Monday. And uh, we have a special Family Day for you today. We have actually someone who is from outside of the country and outside of the Turtle Island. And uh, he is visiting for a little while and he popped in. And we're pleased to have him with us today as we broadcast to... Toronto, Ottawa, and the world via the Radio Canada app. If you download that, you can listen to us absolutely anywhere on the planet. So I want to welcome Alec Dumaji to the show this morning. How are you? Good to be here. Thank, thank you for having me. It's great that you're able to be here, Alec. I was very <laughs> excited to, to be able to welcome you to the show and have you here. Um, for one, re- one of the reasons is because you're an indigenous pers- person from another culture outside of this country, and there's very, very uh, a, a lot of similarities between what has happened in Australia, and, oh, plenty, that's, that's and, and what is going on here. So, um, you, you're you're you are also a person that has had his hand in in many uh, of the of the same things that we are doing in terms of communication. You're, you you started out in radio. Radios. Uh, that's why I got this voice from. That's that's radio voice from the age of twelve. Yeah. I um I first when I first went to school mm. over home. Um, can I also say that we actually gone live back home in Australia as well. So <laughs> right. we're, we're, we're live on Facebook back home. So everyone's back. Hello back home. It's great. Um, you know, uh, we we spoke a minute ago about being an indigenous person, whether mm. whether we refer to ourselves as being indigenous or Aboriginal, or whatever. Yes. So, uh, out of respect for the local mob here, I want to first introduce myself. Um, it's good to be on your country and on your land. My respect to all the owners of this land and the elders, past and present. I'm from the Wanyi, Garo, and Gangalita tribes of the Lower Gulf of Carpentaria. We're probably known as, you know, uh, the warrior tribes of Australia. Basically, um, you know, some really staunch sort of advocates for our people have come from our region um, and I'm very proud to be so you know be able to be over here on on uh, Turtle Island I guess and being part of uh, the, the local people here and I'm looking forward to meeting people but yeah um, a lot of similarities a lot of a lot of social issues and I guess matters um, that we deal with in Australia which are pretty similar to here um, and, and pretty much a mirror image mm-hmm. uh, from you know a, a, a lot of the the issues we face and my family the Dumaji family is very very well known and synonymous with I guess the struggle and the fight I mean one of the biggest moments in uh, Australian history was in 2004 when my uh, my cousin uh, Cameron Dumaji or Murunyi Dumaji we refer to him uh, was I guess died in police custody and it started it sparked, I guess, um, you know, a movement there from the warriors, especially my family, the Dumbuji family, uh, fighting for our rights and fighting for, um, you know, against police brutality um, and and against the mistreatment of Aboriginal people as a whole. You know, there's a lot of laws that are imposed on our people that are, are written especially, uh, you know, for our people and against our people. You know, Australia is the only country in the world that actually in 2007 um, uh, got rid of the Racial Discrimination Act so they can push the Northern Territory intervention by the Prime Minister back then, John Howard. And we just recently had a, a a very famous TV lady on on a show called uh, Studio Ten, and her name's Kerry Ann Kenley, say something very negative and I guess racist against our people on Australia Day, which is their big celebration of colonialism. We we call it Invasion Day or Survival mm-hmm. Day, but she said something really bad, you know, about our our, our young ones, saying that there's a lot of uh, mistreatment towards children going on in our in our communities, and saying that there's a lot of uh, you know uh, rapes and pedophiles getting around, which is. Ridiculous, because John Howard used that same scaremongering back in 2007 to get rid of the Racial Discrimination Act to basically uh, push the Northern Territory intervention onto my people. So 
and they're still actually living under that right now. The mm-hmm. the, the Northern Territory intervention is still happening. So hang on a minute, you know, Carrie Ann Kenley, you're over there in Australia saying bad things about my people on television, but your white leader back in 2007 basically came in to save us, mm-hmm. and he's still got that policy going on. So you're telling me that it, it wasn't fixed? How about you? How about you attack the people that, mm-hmm. you know, n- mm-hmm. not not my people? Because. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there's a, these are the things and the fights that go on every day, and it's just about keep walking your path and and I guess honoring your truth, and and that's what I'm about. So, so so am I am I correct that that your last name Dumaji is is also the name of your of the territory or the, your nation? It's or? the name of the town. Okay. So so Dumaji is a very famous sort of well known uh, Aboriginal community or reservation in the lower Gulf of Carpentaria, and from what I understand, um, it was originally pronounced Dumaja, um, mm-hmm. spelt different way as well, but um. And my grandfather, old Murundu, uh, Willie Dumaji, and uh, being out of it, old Stanley Dumaji, my my dad's, uh, my mum's dad, uh, were very staunch, you know, strong warriors for our people back in the day. And when the when the missionaries first came there in 1930s, in the 1930s, the brethren, the fundamentalist brethren church came there, and found us uh, savages out in the bush and came to civilize us savages. Yes. <laughs> they couldn't find water out on the coast. And the old people knew how to find water. Right. And uh, when cyclones would come and big, you know, some stuff like that, they'd, uh, they'd get a bit scared. So they'd um, they asked my my tribe, my people, if they could you know, find somewhere else where they could kind of settle a real utopian sort of paradise mission. Mm. And so my granddad actually rode in on horseback um, and found the Nicholson River along with a couple of other fellows as well. There was a couple of other people that rode in with him. And from what I understand, uh, you know, back then, I think. Uh, his dad said it was named Dumaja, so they named the place Dumaji after them because I think it was a, it was they, they were pretty strong in in in, in the way they went. Um, so yeah, that's that's sort of the bit of a history of Dumaji itself. Um, you know, set up as a dogged mission. You know, grants of deeds and trust. They, they're mm. called dogged of in Australia under under the under the um, uh, you know I guess Queensland government and, and Australian government sort of legislation, which which again gives them extraordinary powers. Um, in, in 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 creating laws and legislations that specifically, I guess, attacks Indigenous people in our community. So right mm. now, one of the laws that is imposed on my community is a, is a was brought into act about fifteen years ago by the Queensland government called the AMP laws, which is Alcohol Management Plan, mm. and it's basically saying that you know you black fellas, you don't know how to drink in in, in moderation. You, you you drink it in desperation, so you, you're not allowed to have spirits or wine, or you're not allowed to have you know vodka or, or rum. Mm. Um, you're only allowed to have half strength beers, and only, I think you're only allowed to have one or two cartons. If you're caught with more than two cartons, you get a, 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 an automatically um, uh, twelve month sentence wow. in jail, or, or I think you get a fine of about forty thousand dollars, something like that. Now I don't know too many black fellows running around with forty grand to spare. So guess where they end up mm. in prison. So mm. most of them, that's the film, the jail cells up under this right. law, very very you know yeah. racist law, specifically targeted mm. to Aboriginal people. Mm. Um, and you know, I remember Uncle Charlie Perkins. I think it was actually the first Aboriginal senator, uh, Neville Bonner. He said this. He goes, "Australia is uniquely racist towards Aboriginal people," um, and it's it's true. Mm. You know, we've got a lot of different races that come down there, and they always use the term, well, "We've come from this, we've come from that, and we've we've strived, and we've we've and and you know, we've bettered ourselves." Like this Italian brother says to me, "You know, we came over in the fifties with nothing. You know, and me and my family were built from nothing. Look at us now, brother. We." You know, we made millions of dollars, and 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 you know, I got a coffee shop and this that and everything. I looked at him. And I said, "You just answered your own question." I said, "How can that be?" Mm. I said, "I said, 
you ask yourself that how can you come from nothing and, and, and come over here and strive and and yet I'm in my own backyard, been here thousands of years, been here for the last 230 years, you know, try, trying to get somewhere and I haven't succeeded. Ask yourself this, why isn't there a wealthy indigenous person, Aboriginal, First Nations, Wanyagata, mm. a Ganglita person, why isn't there one? Yeah. Tell me that because there in itself lies the answer to your question. The system that's been set up to oppress my people is uniquely set up to do the total opposite for me. And the evidence is overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Come to Australia and show me a wealthy, I'm talking wealth, I'm talking mm-hmm. someone you know, in, in, in the ilk of you know, a Gina Reinhardt or a Rupert Murdoch, someone that's got so much money he doesn't know what to do with it. Mm. Now, for people that are not familiar with the, the area from which you come from, if you look at Australia, it's a northern, northern mid area, kind of, is it? So you fly into Brisbane, mm-hmm. and then you'll fly west inland to a little uh, outback town called Mount Isa, which is known as the Australian Calgary, because that's where they have the big rodeo. <laughs> okay. Well, it is. It's, it's the biggest Great. road in Australia. Then you'll jump on a plane, and you'll fly uh, an hour and a half, or an hour north, and Doomby just right in the lower pocket. It's, like it's the lower Gulf of Carpentaria. And a okay. famous, famous phenomenon happens there. Because um, we've got big salt flats and we've got the, the water goes out quite a bit, it, we call it the Mabunta. The Mabunta is this natural cloud formation. Uh, white guys down there, or white people call it. They call it um, the morning glories, and it's like uh, tornadoes, like tube tunnels, horizontally that come to you every morning between August, September, and October. And uh, the our old people used to lo- uh, used to do our spiritual cleansing, blessing mm. ceremonies under it. You know, the, mm. it'd go over you and it'd be forty degrees, and all of a sudden it'll drop drop by twenty degrees and. You know, give you a cold, cold chill, and you know that was our way of cleansing for another twelve months. Mm. But um, so it's a very famous part. Check it out. We're, you know, trying to get people to come to the area and, and and see some of the some of the beautiful sights up in there. Does that? Uh, we're going to talk about this later, which is the uh, the festival you're going to be you're going to be having in August sometime. Yes. When, when were these? When was this? Uh, these funnel things. Well, uh, they start mid mid August, okay. August, September, October. Um, and, and they're amazing. Like so people, they, would that be going on at the same time? Yes, the it'll be happening at the same time. So that's that's one of our hooks with the festival. <laughs> you know, we're going to get you to come and check out these amazing tunnels, these, these, these cloud formations. I think uh, some European uh, hand gliders jump in there as well. And, oh, and, yeah. I was going to say, I was just going to say something, go back to what I was saying about you know wealth in Australia um, and, and, and I guess changing the perspective of our people. Uncle Charlie Perkins, who was a great freedom fighter for us and led the freedom rides in the 60s, he, he said this one day. It was a great quote, I thought. He said, he said you know, Indigenous people for too long have been eating the scraps of white Australia's smokers board. <laughs> I was mm. like, mm. Yeah, that's, that's pretty profound to say yeah. something like that. You know, I, yeah. And I, I, I don't eat the scraps anymore. I, I want to sit at the table and have some of that. <laughs> I want to have my right. own smokers that's board. Right. No reason why we shouldn't be. Um, so listen, tell us a little bit about your background quickly, if you don't mind. Um, you know, you started in radio, but yes. if I understand correctly... Um, you know, uh, I think your mum said that you should go and get a proper or an education, a white education, learn how to speak and, and how to how to get the that kind of stuff going for you to, yes. to work for you. Yes, of course. But you also, if I understand, you were a father at a very young age. Yes. Well, I'll, I'll try and trap the all up in one. Yeah. Look, I, I grew up out bush. My mother used to work on cattle properties as a as a cook or a I guess a, a bit of slave labor. My, my my parents didn't work for money. They they were getting paid flour and sugar and tea leaf. Mm. Um, you know, people to tell you they weren't slave labor in Australia. It's, it's a lie because I'm the first generation of my people that actually worked for money. Wow. Um, a lot of our mob over there were getting paid sugar, tea leaf, and you know. Um, so that doesn't go back very far. That's, it's 1980s. <laughs> like Thanks. my gener- I was born in '76. You know, like, you got to remember Australia. Just only seven years before me 
had had to change the constitution in 1969 under a referendum because we were known in the in the constitution as flora and fauna because of the lie of terra nullius you know which is a latin term meaning land of no people mm. so i was looked at as a mm. as a, if i was born 6 years earlier I would have been flower or fauna. I still, I still prefer to be flower or fauna. By the way, I, I, I kind of think I'm pretty like a flower. Um, so I was, you know, and and you got to understand. So this stuff was, still, this practice was still in place. In mm. fact, Dumaji itself was still under the, I'd say, brutal control of the Brethren Church right up until 1986. So my mummy mm. wouldn't let me go into town because obviously you can see I got a bit of fair skin. So, you know, over in Australia they called me half caste, half blood, half breed, or what are you going to say? Mm. Yeah. Yellow fella is another word. Mm. That's someone that's you know got a white father and, and a black mama. And I, I, uh, I'm still dealing with that and trying to learn about that. But my grandparents were very strong, staunch warrior people when they found out about me. You know, my... Um, my mother ended up marrying a, a, a very strong, staunch tribal man, Dungo Maji, mm. and I, I addressed these issues in my film Zach Ceremony. Yeah, you know, b- being born to a black mother, black father, mm. black brothers and sisters, and being out bush, you know, tr- growing up pretty traditionally, learning how to hunt, you know, mm-hmm. speaking native tongue. Um, I finally went into uh, in Dumaji when the missionaries left in 1988. Um, that's when the Aboriginal Councils Act came in, mm-hmm. and and the Dogo community of Dumaji became controlled then by an Aboriginal Council, and and my first year in there, I, I went on a school trip to uh, Townsville, and I walked into an Aboriginal radio station that was just set up there called Four K One G. Went went for a, a school uh, a trip in there, and I saw a guy called Joe Gaia from Palm Island singing on the radio a song called Uncle Willie, and mm-hmm. when I heard that, that's yeah, I fell in love with the media, I fell in love with radio, and I saw the power that it for him to tell his story with that song. And mm. I saw Joe guy singing, and I, I wanted to be Joe guy. You know, I'm going, you know, here's a way for us to tell our stories our way, mm. and what a better way to do it than in the media. So mm. when I got home, I said to my teacher, hey, can I uh, can we learn how to do radio? And he said, uh, it's not part of our curriculum, but if you're really keen, stay back, and, and, and you know, I'll, right. I'll be happy to teach you. We'll find out how we can do it. His name is Phil Peachy, and I got to give him a lot of respect, a lot of love, because, you know, he was a white person in my community, mm that saw beyond the other stuff and wanted to help. And mm. and we did sausage sizzles and bought our, our, uh, a Moran's kit. And okay. So we could learn how to do interviews. And I'd, right. go, and, I'd go and interview the elders and we'd, and we'd make, do a little radio show off the back of the school ute, uh-huh. the, the Dodge, the school uh-huh. Dodge. In the, on, on Friday, on Wednesday lunchtime, I'd jump out uh, in the, at the school and pretend like I was on radio and I'd you know play the latest hits like Beds Are Burning from Midnight Oil. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, black fella, white fella from Warumpi Band. You know, I'd play all these Aboriginal you know, protest songs, and I'd play the interviews that I did with the elders. Then I'd go down to, we'd go to the, down into the middle of the park in the community park on a Wednesday night and do it off the back. Mm. So that's how I started, and then, you know, just all well, went from you know, there. That's not very far away from uh, some of the some of the community radio stations that started here. I know for for one, Six Nations radio station started at the back of a car. So. There you go. Yeah. Well, that's how, that's how <laughs> my Dumaji radio station started. And in 1990, when I was 14, we got what is known as Broadcasting and Remote Aboriginal Community Scheme brought in mm. by the government. And that's where I first radio was in. I was one of the first mm. radio announcers mm. when I was only a teenager. And it, it went from there. By the time 92 rolled around, I was um, uh, doing year 11. And yeah, I did have a baby at a young age. I was 16 years old, had my first child, Nadia Dumaji, my, my big girl. She's, I think, 26 now. Um, and, and, and we, my, my Aboriginal, uh, wife back then, we had five babies together. Mm. Um, we had Nadia, uh, Demi was born in 1996. Demi has gone on to become, uh, a very amazing young lady. She, uh, uh, 
wrote, a, wrote into a school in Sydney called uh, Winona All Girls School, and she became, became the second Aboriginal girl to ever attend that school, and she went on to become the first Aboriginal girl to become an Abri- uh, prefect of that school. Cool. And she also opened the door for her younger sister, Brooklyn, to take over that scholarship, which is called the Dalcorp Scholarship, by the way. And it wasn't specific for Indigenous kids. They just liked the way Demi wrote mm. this later into him. So Demi's 96. My my big boy, Zaki Dumaji, um, 1998, was born when I was in, in when I moved out of Dumaji to Mount Isa. And Brooklyn born in 2000 during the Sydney Olympics when we were doing a broadcast. Um, and Bailey Boy, the youngest from, from my first marriage, was born in, uh, in 2002. He's turned 17 this year. So I, I did have babies at a young age. And, and I, I got I to gotta mention this. My wife, Amy, and I have um, been together 12 years. We finally had our own two babies. Um, <laughs> we had Dixie, Dixie Girl, Dixie Lou, two years ago. She's two. And we just had a – got a two-month-old baby now, young uh, Isabella. And she's well, congratulations. Thank and you. Wow. That's some, a, lot some, of, some, a lot of kids. I'm a dad. I <laughs> love <laughs> kids. What can I say? <laughs> but listen, what's really interesting about that is I think that you turned that into a strength. I did. You, what you, because from what I understand, what you did was you said, yes, you wanted to be a father and a good father to yes. your kids. Yes. But it also pushed you more to yes. want to be successful in the areas uh, of your interest. It, it did. How did you, why and how did that happen? I think I wanted to take, I wanted to flip negatives into a positive mm-hmm. and look at things, even like our culture and our, our arts and that. I look at that and I go, well, that's not a disadvantage. That's an advantage. Mm. You know, so I looked at the, my kids and I went, well, that's not a disadvantage. That's an advantage. And I was 16 years old. I remember I was 16. I was sitting, contemplating, jumping, because I was about to go on the plane the next day back to Atherton High School near Cairns mm. to go back to high school. And I made the decision at 16 years old that I was going to quit school, get a job so I can buy Nadia a pram. Mm. So like, she can have food on the table. She can have it. And, and, me and her mum were just high school, you know, boyfriend mm. girlfriend, and mm. she had no, she had an obligation to stay with me, and I had an mm. obligation to sort of be with her because we were kind of, you know, and and I and I figured, I felt like it was the right thing to do at the time, and it was mm. the right thing to do for her. Mm. I needed to show her that there was a strong male around, even though at that mm. time I was still learning about who I was as <laughs> Alec Dumaji, and and I think it it helped me become a better man, a better person, a better dad, a, a better friend, a better son, a, mm. a better father, you know, just a a better partner, um, and and it, it taught me how to budget. It yeah. taught me how to be responsible, pay the mm-hmm. bills. You know, I say to my kids all the time, I, I wanted to give them a hero at home in the lounge room, not on television or not you know, up mm-hmm. in lights. I wanted them to show that they can get up every morning and breakfast was going to be on the table and the bills were going to be paid. Mm-hmm. And I did this for years when my, my first partner and I separated. You know, I became a single dad in, in living in Brisbane, um, working in Brisbane radio and taking care of my babies and just mm. making sure that you know they were taken care of and they had the best you know uh, upbringing you know childhood that a dad could offer now do you see the benefits of that in looking at your children and how that has benefited them as well I think it's a double edged sword because yeah. um because because I, I also also worked really hard to make sure that my kids didn't need to want for anything. Mm. And I'm, I'm not talking extravagant no, no, big gifts. I'm talking, you sure. know, just little things like things yep. that I wasn't. Um, yeah, you know, of course, we all want we all want things better for our kids. Well, just like where I'm come from, I we, we, I didn't grow up being you know mm. having having uh, lollies and chewing gum all the time or mm. you know a soft drink or whatever. Yeah, and uh, you know it it it. I think kids and people that come from the struggle. Because they know about the struggle, they know how hard it is when you're in a struggle. Yeah. They, they're they're much more aware of it. Sure. Um. And, and I think my babies, uh, because daddy was so sometimes so good in in, in in making sure that they didn't ever had to struggle so much. I think sometimes um, they fall over, and, and and that's to me. I go, oh, 
I should I should have let them struggle a little bit more. Right, right. <laughs> but um, I looked. I think they did benefit from it because they, as they got older and got more mature and wiser, and you know, again, my, my, you know, I think they look back and go, "Oh, that's what Dad was saying. That's what Dad was trying to do." Mm. And you know, I was learning. They were teaching sure. me as well. They still Absolutely. teach me every day. Yeah, no they're kidding. still they're still teaching me now. You know, Absolutely. Um, my boy Zach, uh, uh, you know, Nadia, Brooklyn, all of them. They, they're still teaching me. I guess lessons that I, I need to learn myself. I hear you. I, I know my kids do the same. We're back on Moment of Truth, and this is Element FM broadcasting to Toronto and Ottawa and around the world via the Radio Canada app. If you download that, type in uh, ELMNTFM and uh, click on that, and you'll be able to listen to us anywhere. We have a very special guest in our studio today, Alec Dumiji. He is from Australia. He's an indigenous media personality and a commentator. He's also made a first documentary that's won a few some awards. Now, is Zach's, Zach's uh, ceremony? Yes, yes. Is that your son, Zach? That's my boy, Zach. So, it's, um, so Zach's my, my, my eldest boy. Uh, um, so I made a movie about us. Yeah. It's, it's basically, have you ever seen that movie Boy with um, Ethan Hawking? It's an American movie. I don't believe I have. So it's shot over ten years. Mm-hmm. So this. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. this film is the real life boy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So okay. basically, I, I picked up a camera um, back in two thousand and four, I think, straight when I was in the in the depths of all the craziness, chaos, you know, uh, fighting for the rights of, I guess, the Dumaji family. And when my when my cousin, mm. you know, it was our Rodney King moment when mm. my cousin Murunya Dumaji, you know, Murunya, we lost back then. Um, and I decided I was going to make a film. I thought I'm going to. I used radio to an extent to get me to to a point. Mm-hmm. And all my experience with the radio world, and so it's sort of, I think, I think it's a good stepping stone to go into breaking into film and television. Then, because it, it, it teaches you how to, I guess, you know, um, uh, be spontaneous. But it also teaches you how to, you know, perform and sure. be ready. Sure. So I, I decided I wanted to make a film. So I made this. You know, the only thing I had was my culture and my family. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's what I was proud of. So I went, I'm going to make a film about my culture, my family, because I had no film experience. Mm. Never, you know, learned to pick up a camera. And never done this before in my life. Right. And I couldn't go off and do, you know, film school or whatever because I had five kids or five sure. babies to feed. Sure. So I went, I'm just going to pick up a camera and film what I do every day. <laughs> so I was filming my life in Brisbane and, you know, the protest movement and the marches and what was going on in my life. And I'd take them at home and, you know, when, I, when I'd go out for ceremonies and stuff. And I knew that my son, Zach, his initiation ceremony was coming up soon. Mm. So I was like, you know, this could be an amazing time and an opportunity to tell our story our way so that, um, I guess, you know, uh, non-indigenous, non-Aboriginal Australian, or, you know, non-First Nations Australians, yes. of, and not just Australia, but people from outside of Australia. Because I, I, I actually, in, from the beginning, uh, I targeted, targeted not Australia as my audience. I, I went with the film. I wanted it to be an international film. Mm. You know, I wanted Canada, America, you know, mm. Europe to see this film and go, wow, that's what's really going on. Because mm. I was sick of talking to people in Australia about it, you know, and this code of silence and secret war going on. So when I made it, I was always thinking about it as an international film. Um, and it was basically just a fly on the wall look at, at a father and son. That's mm-hmm. the other thing I did. I flipped the switch, and I didn't make it about an Aboriginal man. I made it about a dad mm-hmm. and his son and the universal truth and universal struggle between a father and son. And that's what connected with the people mm-hmm. is that, oh, he could have could been my son. You know, he could have been my nephew. Um, oh, that, that was me when I was a kid having the restoration relationship sure. with my dad. So it was it was a it was a really smart move to to, to do that and it turned into a, a i guess an aboriginal lion king you know mm. i'm not saying to profess to be mufasa or anything but <laughs> you know, i was like me and Zach could be you know simba and simba and mufasa so that's, that's where the film came from and you know it took me a long time to get it off the line and and yeah we we debuted it here in toronto back in 2016 at hot dogs mm-hmm. 
We got a lot of attention. Got you know, got some really amazing friends. I made some really amazing, I'd say, friends and now family. Mike being one of them that mm-hmm. came came along to the um, you know Mike Ormsby, my brother here, that's behind the on uh, going Facebook Live with me at the moment. That <laughs> um, I met him there. I met um, you know uh, Auntie Manaconda and and digging roots. You know mm-hmm. Raven and Shoshana through that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, it opened up a lot of doors for me, and we went around the went around the world from it. From my son Zach and I traveled for nearly eighteen months all around the world. You know Bali, uh, Tahiti, you know mm. New Zealand, and we and we the film connected us to people that we needed to connect with. Um, you know, I even did the I did uh, I got selected in the Margaret Mead Film Festival. Margaret Mead is a famous, I believe, um, anthropologist, mm. and she does a film. Well, there's a film festival done in her honor in New York City. Mm. So they screened my film as part of that. And I got to go to it. Wow. And it was at a time when I was at loggerheads with anthropologists in Australia ah. because I believe they come and, you know, they're a little bit like leeches sometimes. They mm. come and suck the, the knowledge out of my old people and then sure. they, they take the knowledge away. Then they, right. come, they come back and expect me and my people to pay for that knowledge in order for right. us to prove our native title rights. So, yeah. I, I, so I said this profound stuff at this big archaeologist, mm. you know, mm. anthropologist um, uh, gathering at the Margaret Film Fest in 2017. I think it might have been 16 as well. And all of a sudden, everyone going, Alex saying that uncomfortable truths again. He's you know the, the elephant's in the room again. He's he's, he's jumped on it and wrote it wrote it straight down the middle. <laughs> and um, I don't know. I just feel like that's my duty, and that's mm. that's that's as as a warrior for my people. And my duty is to speak those things and articulate what um, my my family, personally my tribe, and my people as a whole in Australia have have been dealing with. Yeah. And I believe the film Zach Ceremony mm. articulates perfectly. The Aboriginal struggle, the First Nation struggle, the Wanyangara or Ganglia struggle in Australia in our own backyard, mm. um, and I believe it's done in a very graceful, you know, um, spiritual manner mm. where we make sure we honour and respect our laws and our customs, but at the same time, it you know the questions are is coming from a little boy. Mm. You know, he's asking, Dad, why do you know? And I don't come out and blatantly say this, but sure. why don't we do have a treaty in Australia? How come there's no treaty? You know, well, mm. son, you know, it's because of that one uh, Terranalis Nullius that they said in place of no people, they use that lie to continue it. Mm. you got to remember, back when Governor Arthur Phillips planted the Union Jack and claimed the colony of New South Wales on the 26th of January, 1788, and said, I claim this on behalf of, I think, I can't remember what king it was, might have been George or someone. They, you know, they're crazy over here. They overthrow their throne just as much as we overthrow our prime ministers in Australia. Um, and, and and started that lie of terra nullius, right? right. And, and and when a, when a kid's asking a question then you've got to question yourself, how come we're the only commonwealth in the world that don't have a treaty or an accord or a contract with our invaders, oppressors, or whatever you want to call them? You know, they, they, they're, they're like using the word settle, settlement, because yes. it sounds more gentle. Sure. But the truth of the matter is it was an invasion, right. and, and it was taken from us by mm-hmm. force. You know, and, and the only, we're the only country in the world that don't have treaties with our you know, uninvited guests. You know, you turn up to someone's house and, and you hang out for 230 years, you've got to start paying the rent at some stage. <laughs> yes. You can't just keep living rent-free. Yep. You know, we're the oh, landlords yeah. and we're kind of being really patient, you know. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm a patient blackfella, you know, because I, I wait around for a lot of my mob because we've got this thing called native time. Um, and, you know, we're still waiting for, the, for that moment of truth to come well. for our nation. And that moment of truth, I believe, will come maybe soon in the form of a republic because I don't think you can tear the Constitution down and, and probably go back and rewrite it because, you know, Australia became a federation in 1901 on the 1st of January. That's their Australia Day. That's mm. their Aussie Day. Mm. But in there, they conveniently left out these flora and fauna people. Mm. <laughs> so in their constitution, their first, their first legislation or policy was the white Australia policy. 
and then they put the floor and fauna thing in. So it was all systematically done. It was it was done knowingly. It wasn't done unwillingly. Sure. It's only done with arrogance. Yeah. And they're still doing the arrogance right now. Right. That's why people like Kerry Ann Kenley can sit on those morning talk shows. This only happened a couple of weeks ago. And speak the way they do because mm. I can't be angry at them no more because it's a system they've been breeding, born into. They mm-hmm. were, were spoon-fed this propaganda garbage since day one. You know, they, 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 their parents spoon-fed them television, radio, print. Everyone told them, you're an Aussie, mate. You grew here. They flew here, mate. It's your flag. It's your anthem. Come on, mate. You know, Aussie, 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 mate. Oi, oi, oi. It's a false sense mm-hmm. of entitlement, and it's sure. a false sense of achievement, and it's, it's a false sense of national identity. Well, and, a, lot of, a lot of what you're saying, uh, a lot of our listeners will, will, a lot of our indigenous listeners will readily identify with, with a lot of the things that you're saying, of course, because of what has happened in this country over the history of this nation and how it was founded and, and what the situation is and how it was treated, uh, how it treated its indigenous people. Or, you know, something that has come out in the last little while is Truth and Reconciliation Commission mm-hmm. has helped to some degree in, in, in terms of raising that, that awareness and, and came up with all these recommendations about how to improve the situation between indigenous and non-indigenous in Canada and its indigenous people. So that's, that's helped to some degree, but a lot of what you're saying, mm-hmm. people are very much familiar with. I mean, you talk about um, uh, you know, uh, language yep. and and culture um, there, and and how uh, you know these people would come into your communities and take the the indigenous knowledge and then you know put it in a book and sell, try to sell it back to you or or those kind of things. Oh, they, it's, it's not, it's, it's, no, not no, trying I'm, to. I'm it's saying, actually happening. I'm just, I'm just saying <laughs> that that is not unfamiliar. You know, oh, yeah, and it's something I raise all the time is why is our indigenous knowledge not? Why are the indigenous people that have the knowledge not being recognized? We should be recognized. They should be the professors. People. Absolutely, they should be the Absolutely. ones up there lecturing those Absolutely. those universities. Not, 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 not. But there's the, no degree, see. So well, there you go, right? <laughs> well, you know, the, the white guys coming to, and it's and it's a white system. That's sure. what I say to people. Absolutely. People, people say to them, you know, we should have more senators. We should, we. Well, you know, if you if you want to make a difference, why don't you go and run for government? Mm. Why would I want to go and play a game that's not my playbook? Mm-hmm. Right. That's right. The, the, that, the, the Australian government, the Australian constitution, is a white man's game. That that is totally set up to benefit, you know, the the, the British or the English or whoever you want to say they are. You know, uh, some people sometimes tell me that I got that, that, that I got to get my 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 English languaging properly. That I can't just label all white guys the same. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm a little bit uneducated. I'm still learning about this white tongue stuff. You know, I I I I know you white fellows sort of speak with a forked tongue and it's kind of go all over the place. So and it comes back into your language. You know, I'm not going to separate and categorize white people that came to Australia because as far as I'm concerned, most of white Australia has benefited from the crimes and proceeds of their forefathers. And they do greatly. And it was, a, you know, and if you sit back and say, well, I didn't do it, you're still driving a stolen car that your granddaddy mm-hmm. stole, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If, I, if I went out right now and jumped in the back seat of a car and one of my boys stole it and my native brother stole it and I get pulled up by the cops and I know, I knew, I'm, I know it's stolen, guess what? I'm going to get charged with stealing the car as well. You know, so it's a, it's, it's a, to me, it's a, it's, it's a, it, the only way it's going to change over there is when other white guys and white people in general, you know, our our, our supporters and uh, people that uh, understand the struggle, understand what's going, on, come and stand with us. And and there's a big groundswell. Look, I'm, I don't want to be all doom and gloom because there is a big groundswell in Australia at the moment for a push towards a treaty or a change in the constitution, all those other sort of stuff. So it's, it's kind of starting to happen right now, and it comes back due to social media and the fact that for the first time, native people in Australia. Have uh, you know have the power to be mm. able to Twitter, Facebook, mm. Mm. Um, Instagram, and get the word out? Where well, back in the day it was all sort of I guess um, overseen by the big you know mm. 
the big warlords, I guess. So let me let me ask you this because it's something I heard you say in a in a presentation you made, mm. um, and and I I'm, it's just more of a curiosity. You use the word tribe, as, tribe, yep. and and I'm just wondering what your what your uh, how you delineate between nation and tribe, and do you do you make a difference between the two? Again, you know, it's, it's white flat tongue. I'm I'm still trying to learn. I guess I mean we had we had this conversation the other day. What do you what do you identify as Indigenous or Aboriginal or mm. First Nation or what? Oh, I gotta say I, I identify as Wanyagata and Gangalita because the right. term native or Indigenous is from the English language. Sure. Um, right. And you know we, there was a white guy in Australia called Andrew Bolt who said he's Indigenous, and there's even a, a senator called Pauline Hanson from a, the One Nation family. She says she's Indigenous because she was born in Australia, you know. And, and they say oh, the, the def- definition of Indigenous person if you're born in that area, okay. Well, sweet. This is where they get you again because it's mm-hmm. their playbook. Mm-hmm. You understand? It's mm-hmm. it's their words. Mm-hmm. It's like like I said, if I go and jump into a, a you know play a game that that's that's dictated and and they they're making the laws and the rules and how you play that game, the minute I start winning, they move the goalposts. Oh, they change the diamond into a into a into a round circle and they change the rules so that it suits them again. And fix and and it's been happening for a long time. Mm. And the one thing about Australia that's, that's uh, I guess, good for our mob, and people are going to probably change their perspective of this, at the moment there's a big push to change the date you know, about celebrating Australia. There's a big push about you know, changing the national anthem. There's a big push about changing the flag, all this stuff. And that's great. But if you want to do all that in one go, mm. in one go, we need that piece of paper that mm. says that white people, non-Indigenous people, or non-First Nations people, Native people, and, and, and Native people can work together in harmony and build a mm. solid foundation together. Mm. That, that all-important contract or accord or treaty, whatever you want to call it, and look, I'm, I'm not an academic, so I don't know what, what, how you're going to do that, but that needs to happen for everything else to filter out. Mm. Right? Um, and, and I believe it will happen soon. The good thing about this, is, and this is what I'm going to say now, the, the good thing about right now, yes. in 2019, mm. is we're not signing this treaty in 1818 or right. 1718. Right. You want to know why? Because we back then, we wouldn't have known how to read or write. We, right. would, we didn't have no lawyers. We exactly. didn't have the knowledge we have now. Yeah. I wouldn't have been sitting here speaking this tr- truth with you. Right now, the, the, the scariest thing that the Australian government has is that Aboriginal people, First Nation people, Native people have the knowledge to right. negotiate a really smart uh, contract uh, with them uh, with right using now. Using the same language and understanding Use, of and the same knowing, words. And knowing the, <laughs> yes. knowing the language, exactly. right? twisting it. So a lot of the treaties over here, yep. you know, I hear they've been broken and all the rest of it. You know, at least your mob had a treaty to get broken, but <laughs> I'm not saying it's a good thing. But the reason they got broken was because, again, it was the white man's language. playbook is yes. their language, exactly. and, and, and they believe they didn't break it because in, their, in, in sure. the wording it, yep. whoever negotiated those treaties back in the day didn't understand some of the words and, and they trusted with heart because we're very, very yeah, peaceful, um, I, I guess. Uh, we, we lead with our heart and our yep. spirit. So we trust you on your word. You're yep. only as good as your word. Yes. Same with us in Australia. So they took these you know, people back then on their word yes. and trusted what, that was, was, what was in that contract. I mean, right now, David, if you went out and wrote a contract to go and work at a radio station, you would not want to sit there and negotiate the contract and have a read what's in there and make sure your lawyers go over it. Mm. And you get a good contract, the best, and you try to get the best one that suits you and your needs. Those contracts, when they were signed here in America, Canada, and everywhere else, were signed in the best interests of the of invaders yes. and of the of the guys right. that had the knowledge about how to do those contracts. So I think we're in a good position in Australia right now because we've got very smart academics and lawyers and people in positions of power that actually can negotiate something very smart and really good for us. And that's the scary thing. Knowledge is power, and the Australian government 
are running with their tails stuck between their legs. I think that's why they've um, been changing leaders so uh, so rapidly down under, down in Australia, because they're too scared to see who's going to negotiate with mm. some of our greatest, uh, I guess, advocates for our for our rights. So I want to I want to go back to something I heard you say that I wrote down uh, in another presentation that you made, and it was about you said skin. It was mm. attached to the skin. Yes. Um, I, I think I think I speak about so when you're born as an indigenous person, there's layers, and that's why I, I recommend my film Zach Ceremony as a, you know, uh, I think we're gonna we're looking at coming over and doing a tour with Zach Ceremony. Mm, that's what yeah. Mike's uh, helped me with as well. We're gonna hopefully get to some of the reservations, you know, the local tribes yep. around the region, nations, and go and screen the film and talk about this. So Great. when I talk about skin, I talk about um, so our cultural practices. One of them is when you're born, you're born into a skin group. So mm. not, not the color of it, texture, right. but the name of it. So my, yes. my, my skin group is Gambarangi skin. Right. And I come from a, a Buralangi father. Um, uh, sorry, Buralangi father. A Buralangi father, which is my dad, Aldungamaji, and my mother, Niwinama skin. So I'm Gambarangi. So it's a, it's a moiety group. So it's a sub, sub sort of tribe within a tribe, but it, it gives you your obligations and your connections and standing amongst the mm. tribes. It also gives you your relationship to different other mobs, and it and it also gives you who you're allowed to marry, which is really important. Mm-hmm. You got to you you marry into the straight skin, mm. so so you don't have uh, what's that thing called incest, all this yes. sort of stuff, yep. which you know mm. uh, you never want that. So that was our system that was set up, and that was one of the the I guess, and I'll, I'll speak with you in a minute. That was one of the um, first things that a lot of the missionaries came and devastated and, and broke was mm. that skin group, the skin, ah, the name of right. skin group. Because it also gave you obligations and your responsibility to the land, which area you're allowed to speak for, which sure. area you're allowed to sing songs for, right. and what dances you do. Yep. So this was the you know the, the layers within Aboriginal culture. So Gamanangi skin, and then you go into another uh, a clan group. So Wiralia or Mambalia. I think Mambalia, I believe, Rainbow uh, Rainbow Mob. Mm. I think Wiralia um, might be Kangaroo, or, or might be uh, I think Kangaroo might be Dingo. I think. Mm. So there's some different clan groups as well. So you go into mm. clan group, and then then obviously your tribe. You know, mm-hmm. we got main the main. Tribes in my area is we've got Wanyi tribe, which, which um, you know I'm a part of through my dad. We've got Ganglita tribe, which is uh, where we're going to be having the festival mm. this year on mm-hmm. Ganglita land. My, and that's my grandmother's side and my grandmother, uh, my, my, my mother, my grandmother, and my grandfather's side. You have Gadawa tribe, which goes over the Northern Territory, Gadawa into um, uh, Burulula, which meets the Yanyala mob. And Gadawa is my dad's side as well, um, and, and, and also my grandfather's side on the Gadawa. So, mm. you know, so you go, you go skin name, um, Clan group, I guess, and then and then tribe. So it and they're all intertwined with each other. But mm. it's very important that you know your skin, because obviously you know you, you get to marry someone who's straight skin, and you're right. And uh, because of that, you uh, in our law, you're not allowed to speak to your mother-in-law. Mm. So it's it's, a, it's something we worked at a long, long time ago. That most white fellows don't know about is you know they're always, they're always joking and having fun about uh, you know uh, their mother-in-law. And, right. So we we figured a long time ago that uh, part of one of our laws is you you got to show respect to your mother-in-law. You can't talk to her, you can't talk ill of her, can't talk bad about her. Mm. Um, even if you're in the same room, you're in a kitchen, and she's in there, you got to put your head down and walk out. Wow. So that, that skin group is very important mm. for a lot of those structures. Mm. And because that knowledge was systematically uh, ripped away from a lot of our mob, it's yeah. created chaos and it cre- it's created you know hatefulness and it's created. Well, where do I belong? Where I'm mm. from? Mm. So that that skin group gives you your belonging. Yeah. Are your are your communities, and we have to take a break shortly, but I just want to touch on this. Uh, uh, are your communities matriarchal? You know what, they pretty much are. I, I'd say um, a lot of us men think we're we're in, we're in charge, we're the boss, but <laughs> most <laughs> most most of the most of the things that happens is actually, I guess, dictated to or you know uh, given a nod by our women, um, and we're a lot of amazing, strong women. Mm. 
I think is a, I think it's more of a shared thing, mm. and and they answer to each other. Mm. We've we've always sat in a circle. There's never been a head of our table. We've never had you know chiefs okay. or anything like that. It's, I mean, we have staunch warriors and and you know medicine men, ceremony men, law law men, um, but there's never been. Everyone answers to each other. We got this thing called jungais. So a jungai is your keeper or your godfather. So if you're a jungai, you answer to each other. So you okay. basically everyone answers to each other. Sure. And this, that's I believe that's the way it should be. And because you know when. I guess the non non native society came along. They had a king, and they had mm. a, a you know there was a class system in England that was brought over. We never had that class system. Right. Like we just lived in a system that everybody all benefited right. together. Okay. There was never a class system. <laughs> We're back on Moment of Truth with our guest Alec Dumaji from Australia, down under, and and it's great that he's here. We talked about some uh, a lot of very familiar topics that uh, I, I think a lot of Indigenous people will be familiar with in terms of of what they are dealing with uh, in Australia as well. Uh, before we move on, Alec, just wondering about something. Yes. When I was in the far north of Canada, up there stationed uh, doing some coverage, um, I found it very interesting how physically they looked at the world because they looked at the from the top northern part of the world yes. down. Yes. So when, when a map was created... It certainly wasn't created uh, in the same way that we would look at the world. Yes. Their map went from the north looking down. Yes. So it was the reverse almost to what I'm used to seeing a map look like. Yep. How do you guys envision the world from down down where you are? I, I, you know, this was brought to my attention recently, and I, I didn't, I guess, really think too much of it because mm. I, I'm, I just live it. And it's yeah. part of what we do. Aboriginal people, our mob down home, seem to have this be, be able to have visions that see the land from up here. Mm. I mean, even if you look at a lot of our, our dot paintings and the, the in Aboriginal art from down Australia, like our, our art, it actually is maps of the land. Mm. And that again comes back to us talking about the skin group, because mm. a lot of our songs and ceremonies, especially, you know, uh, sings about your connection to land and certain areas. And I think when old people used to walk and look on mountains, they could probably, you know, float up into the dream time or, mm. you know, um, I guess spiritually go up there and see the land from above because mm. they knew how to map lands out. And a lot of our songs tells you where water holes are and where certain spots are so you can, uh, you know, survive or you stay mm. full of the seasons or whatever. So, th- so, so, you know, a lot of our, it comes out in a lot of our art as well. Mm. And, and we're a- able to project and have visions mm. on a higher level, which is, um, which is quite extraordinary. That I can't even, it's just part of my DNA. I can't explain how it happens. I think it's, Got a lot to do with the fact that, you know, we've been around for a long, long time, you know, yeah. thousands upon thousands. I think it's been originally dated 80,000 years, 85,000 years yeah, now, yeah. something like that. So it, I think it just comes with presence of self and, um, you know, mind, body, spirit, and soul, and mm. being able to, uh, I guess, in ceremonies and have out of body experiences to mm. see the land on a long way, have those visions about country and being able to articulate that in our art with our, our, our paintings. Um, you know, and and even with our with our songs and that and dances. So mm. now, how, how does it how does it ring with you guys in 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 the contemporary world? Just this is just a you know a general question. It's got nothing to do with with anything except the way you know. For instance, the Christmas songs. We all you know December mm-hmm. is in the middle of your your summer, is it not? Yeah, yeah. So how does that play out with you guys down there? I don't know. It's kind of weird. I mean, you know. There's a there's a lot of good and bad and a lot of things. I think I love taking the good out of Christmas, which is the main the main thing is your family are coming together and you get to mm. see you see a lot of family and stuff. And you get to turn on the yarn, have a laugh. So I'm 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 not sure again because I live it. Yeah. I'm not really I, I can't really I guess articulate how we how we utilize that old ways to sort of come into the new. I mean, um, 
one of the things that I'm doing is is the festival, of course, yeah. and same with the film. I'm I'm trying to utilize the tools at my disposal to, I guess, tell my stories my way, but still live and breathe my culture in a in a in a, in a new sort of world, you know, Western world society. What what is the weather like in your area all year round? Is it does it change much or does it uh, is it pretty much temperate? Well, yeah, I mean, our winter down there is in the middle of the year. I think it starts in June, July, August, yeah. May, June, July, August, the, yeah. the winter, and it gets to a really freezing 25 degrees. <laughs> I, was, I always go home to Dumajin, and my mom, my mom said, my baby, it's really cold home. You, you better bring coat with yourself. It's really cold. I mean, I get up there, and, I, and it's... 25 maybe right. 20 degrees right. at most and it's not cold I mean, it does get a little look i'm not gonna i'm not gonna tease my mom back home but it does get a little bit cold i mean you know maybe down to 10 degrees up in mad isa um but i'm not like you know minus 20 degrees like which when i went to edmonton last year i think my mm. my fingers all nearly froze and fell off yeah yeah it gets chilly so oh, it's, it's, look, it's it's, it's Australia. It's a yeah. you know, great southern land. But I mean, but I mean, that's the northern part, correct? It's closer to the it, equator. Okay, there's there's a, down down south. They, they do get some snow, and it gets yeah. a bit cold down towards Threadbow and those places, and I mean Tasmania as well. Mm. So it does have some areas. Mm. Just my area that I live in, you know, up home in the Gulf of Carpentaria, it's there's only two kinds of weather: wet season and dry season. Okay. And both times, it's 40 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, you know, the, the, we, we hold a festival in August, which is just coming out of winter, mm. and it gets down to, you know, 25, 20 degrees, so you know, it's, it's, it's cool enough for you to be able to, you know, stand the blazing sun, and, mm. and, and I think, um, you know, the, the rodeo segment, are, uh, I guess, part of the festival, you know, appreciate that, because, you know, we've got to look after the stock as well. Well, speaking of the festival, let's talk about that because that's going to be coming up again this year. Uh, how many years has this been going on? It's taking place in August. Is it still 15th to the 18th? Yes. So uh, I run it straight after the Australian version of the Cal- Calgary Stampede. Okay. So the idea of it comes from that, from the like, Calgary Stampede or the Cheyenne Frontier Days, um, uh-huh. you know, in Cheyenne Road and then. Mainly because Aboriginal people, their first jobs, you know, in Australia came in the pastoral industry. They basically are the backbone mm. of the pastoral industry and helped build multi-million-dollar pastoral companies and ranches in Australia while they were getting paid tea leaf and sugar and, and mm. while they were getting paid, you know, in slave labor, basically with, with rations. Mm. So I, I figured that Lower Gulf region had a long association with our people working in the pastoral industry and. And they like rodeoing, so I wanted to have the rodeo as as one of my centerpieces. So we have the Frontier Days Rodeo, which houses the National Indigenous Rodeo Championships. Now, I let white fellas come and compete at our rodeo too, because it's open to all comers. You sure. know, I don't want to be discriminated mm-hmm. against and, and say they can't come be a part of the Frontier yeah, Days yeah. Rodeo. But it just so happens within there we we run the Indigenous Championships, um, which you know if you're the highest place Aboriginal person, you get the Indigenous Championship buckle. But if you're the highest overall, you'll also get the Frontier Days buckle. Right. Um, uh, the, the white guys, they'll just get the Frontier Days buckle, the Frontier Days pri- uh, uh, prize money. And and that's where that came from. So we have the rodeo, then we have the dance, the arts, the culture. Yep. So that's where the big dance grounds t- takes place. The, the Karaj Bawangijbi, which means to sing and dance in our lingo. Um, and then obviously the music element and program part of it. Um, when we bring some of the best acts in the world to. Um, you know, last year we had Mickey Free, we had Digging Roots, we had yeah. Catchify from New Zealand, who is a, Catchify is a, um, a reggae group. <laughs> Um, and and we and we also bring some of our white brothers and sisters along to perform as well. But the only catch is when you're on my festival, the white guys have to open for the black guys. 
So the native people, we become the main main act. We can we become the head of the show. I'll flip the it script should be. again. Oh, I got to keep. I got to keep no, true no, to who sure. I am. It's, I gotta, it's great. You know, it's just, it's no, just no, a little way of the way it should be. Exactly. So we become we become the the the, you know, I guess the cream on top. So, so yeah, I was glad to see that Digging Roots was uh, performed down there. That's very cool. Now, when when you go to the site, and I'm just going to mention this in case anybody wants to check this out, just to to have a look at it. It's the the Gulf Country Frontier Days Festival and if you go there, you're going to see this video that starts to introduce the the festival to you, which I thought was really cool because of the way it brought the four nations together. Mm. You have someone passing a feather yes. from each direction, and yes. I thought that was very cool. Um, and and uh, do you want to talk a little bit about? Yes, that? look, I'm again. I'm a filmmaker. I'm a, I dream big, and I, and a lot of this stuff in the in the festival. I I actually have dreams and visions about it. Even the logo, the logo of the mm. Frontier Days Festival. I, I dreamt that, mm. and it came to me. And even the name, the, the name Frontier, mm. is not used quite often in Australia. Yeah. It's always Outback or Dreaming right. or something else. Yes. So, and so, some people had a go at me about why are you using Frontier? That's an American thing, man. Mm. That's an American thing. You know, that's right. all. Yeah, it's an American thing. Yeah. I said, yeah, sweet. Okay, but it's your again your language. But I just wanted to use it to have have a point of difference, but mm-hmm. also to to address the frontier thing. Um, uh, you know, seeing frontier days at Cheyenne and 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 getting all that. I I looked at our area as the last frontier in Australia, mm-hmm. and I read a book that was written by a, a guy called Tony Roberts. I think it's called uh, Tony. I think it's Tony Roberts, or it might be Tony Reynolds. Well, okay. anyway, Tony Roberts, Tony Reynolds. But it's called the Last Frontier. Mm-hmm. And it's written history about the impact of the the cattle drives that call them the overlander cattle drives okay. through the low, through, through my area through Dumaji, right. and and the devastating impacts of massacres they was having on my people. Mm. And then we had a, a, a famous expedition called the Birkenwills Trek. Birkenwills was like your Lewis and Clark or whatever. Mm. They went from Melbourne, Australia, straight out the middle, and ended right. up at Burketown. So Burketown is named after this early explorer expedition, and it ended in tragedy because they ended up dying out in the last frontier. Yeah. So I wanted to address that, and I want to use the the, the frontier mm. label as as for us to come together and find a way how we deal with the the, the early impact of of that kind of, I guess, invasion or colonization or a settlement, whatever you want to call it, but address it with truth and tell some of the stories about the massacres right. and tell some of the stories about what happened up there. And there's a lot of stories in, intertwined with that. So I'll use arts, culture, dance, theatre, sure. yeah. and storytelling. Yeah. Uh, and as a point of conversation, as you just mentioned, well, yeah, are, frontier, and, you know, so, and, 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 and and I think it captures the heart, minds, and souls of people too. But but you mentioned frontier days in in America. Yeah. Some of your big artists that sure. plays those festivals go, oh, okay, right. so it's a big festival, like blah 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 blah. Well, the other thing that that caught me was the the golf golf country because that's <laughs> that can be associated with a with a golf and country club sort of you know. Uh, uh, so it's interesting, but that's an actual area. Correct? Yeah, well, okay. So, so the, it, the, the word golf is spelled G U L F, not G O L F. And basically, because that that area is a very powerful spiritual area, the Gulf of Carpentaria mm. is a known, it's like uh, the Bermuda Triangle or whatever. There's mm. something natural and something crazy about it. And this is what it is. We have that natural thing, the, the, mm. the, the, the Mabunda, the, 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 the morning glories mm. that come each morning. Each morning between August, September, and October, these natural cloud formations come. They're like they're like tornadoes horizontally, like on their sides coming over you. Mm-hmm. And it start from six in the morning, sometimes five in the morning, oh. right through until ten, eleven, and they come over you every morning. Mm. And they come really low, and it can be really hot. Mm. And they'll send a cold shiver, a cold um, shiver through your body that mm-hmm. gives you a spiritual cleansing. And the old people used to, used to stand under them, and and that would be their blessings for the next twelve months. So that Gulf country, because of that, it gives it a, a unique spirituality and gives it a spiritual purpose. Just like you're the spirit of Toronto, mm. um, the Gulf, I believe, is a, is the spirit of Australia, and it gives it, it, it well, especially that, that area up there. It gives it a real, real unique 
I guess, place, not just in Australia, but within the world. It's a powerfully spiritually, uh, I guess, um, place that just blows you away, that the land speaks to you, literally. Mm. Well, that sounds fascinating, and uh, you certainly have perked my interest. Uh, I, I can't wait to try and get there. Love now, we're, we're running out of time, believe it or not. Our really? hour is coming to a close, but we have that a few minutes left, and I have something in my pocket here that um, someone you know gave to me. And it hangs up in my office area, and I want to show it to you because you actually know this piece of material and what it stands for and what it is. And I was very honored to be given this flag, and I'm hoping that you would mind, if you wouldn't mind, telling us something about this flag and its importance. Okay, so this is the Aboriginal flag. I got, I got to firstly say thank you to my brother, my white brother, Mad Lenny. If you're watching back over in Australia, I've been doing with you right now, my brother. Lenny, you out there, brother? Mad Lenny, Mad Lenny, my brother, gifted me this flag. He's a white man that now lives in my reservation, my mm. community of Dumaji. Mm. And um, it, it's interesting that <laughs> 2007, um, we was marching on Parliament House and we were about to do this protest. And I was about to burn the flag, right. uh, the Australian flag. Right. And I had no lighter. And he came running out and he wanted to burn <laughs> it. Anyway, um, so this flag, the black is for the... He gave, gifted me this flag, okay. by the way. Yep. So, and I, I took it on a lot of marches, a lot of protests with me over the years. So the black is for the people. Um, yellow is for the sun and the red is for the earth and also for the blood that our people spilled. Um, came together, I think uh, Harold Thomas was the Aboriginal artist that came up with the idea because we wanted to come under one flag and one nation, um, which it, it, it represents all of us. And I think Gary Foley was involved with the idea behind this flag as well. Gary Foley is a mm. you know, staunch sort of activist at home and academic and all the rest of it. And, and they came up with the idea of this flag. But this flag has been flying as, the, as a representative of all Aboriginal people uh, since the early 1970s, I think 72 when uh, they went and started the Aboriginal Tent Embassy in Canberra, which is the Our Washington DC or Our White House, and it's still standing there today. It's it's a direct protest protest against, you know, um, uh, I guess illegal occupation of our land, and we fly, we, we we do that under this flag. And and, uh, and doesn't this flag fly right beside the Australian flag? At the- it does now. Yes, yeah. yes. Yes. So so right now it actually flies beside the Australian flag. They always keep our flag a little bit lower than theirs and have mm-hmm. theirs a bit more raised a bit more higher. And then there's also a Torres Strait Islander flag. So when you come to my festival, we've got the Australian one down here. You might you might need to see it at all. We, we raised this one up top. He's, he's the boss. In fact, um, you know, I, I got into some trouble for that because someone said that their flag should be higher than ours. Mm. So I said, hang on a minute. Right. Who country are you on? Who land you right, on? Right, right. You, you come second. You, sure. Your flag, every now and again, you got to humble yourself a little bit yes. and, 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 yeah. and pay respects to who, who you know. Well, uh, but that's where this flag comes from. Our friend Dave, Dave Charles, gave this to me. So, if Dave's listening, uh, you might want to give a little shout out to him. But we're quickly running out of time, and I want to ask if there's anything else you want to say about the flag, or anything else you want to sum up with as we end our, our time here. DC, I want to thank your brother for your love and respect all the time, um, and thank you, Dave, for having me on the show. This is really awesome. Look, the one thing I want to say is that uh, we're over here, I guess, recruiting um, uh, performers for our festival for the mm. Frontier Days Golf Country Frontier Days Festival. Basically, we want to form a good relationship with the with, with Canada and and a lot of the First Nations people here, but also, I guess, with the white brothers and sisters out there, they want to want to create change and change the world for the better and put a, put a, put a positive vibe and spin mm-hmm. on to come and be a part of our festival. You know, we're looking for dancers, powwow dancers. We're looking for artists. We're looking for singer songwriters. 
I had Jimmy Rankin come up to me the other day over at Montreal. Jimmy Rankin's from a group called the Rankins. Mm. Uh, you know, and he's, why does that come? He said, brother, I'd love to come and hang with you and under. That'd be so awesome to be at your festival. So, you know, we're putting the call out. We're looking for that. We're also looking for anybody that's, I guess, interested in coming on board as a partner. We, we, we part of our trip over here, i got to sure. mention that the, the Canadian Council down under, mm. you know, Canada down under helped, um, you know, put some money towards my Great. trip and came on board as a bit nice. of a sponsor last year. And nice. hopefully we can get it back on board. So the more like-minded people putting money into into these projects and the stuff that's worthwhile. So it's about a social change, about you know, uh, I guess fixing some of the rights and wrongs, but also you know, p- making that fixing, giving a, an economy base to to a low, lower social economic community and, mm. and and giving them a, a bit of a foundation to you know run and start their businesses. So if anyone's interested in being an investor or come on board as a sponsor, um, just like the Canadian Council, uh, the mm. Canadian Consul in Australia has, um, we're, you know, more ears, all, all ears. I mean, we'd we'd love to speak with you. Give us a call or I'll find, jump onto our website. All right. Thank you very much. And we're going to, uh, I just want to say, uh, Chimigwech and Yawa for being here today. I like it. It's been great. I, I wish we had more time to uh, spend. Miigwech, Miigwech, and Maraganya from my side. Maraganya. All right. And I have to sum up by saying that uh, this week I'm going to be on the road. So we're going to have guests sitting in for me, but I'm going to be calling in every morning at 11 a.m. for about 10 minutes as I go to the Mississaugas of the New Credit three-day historical gathering. So that's coming up starting on Wednesday. We'll be calling in tomorrow as 